I'm thrilled to announce that TSK has returned as headline sponsor for another season. We all see that the world of work has changed. We've seen a true workplace revolution in the last few years. The line between work and life is blurred. We believe the fundamentals of this change is here to stay. When you're a leader in that environment, you're probably having those ongoing questions through the uncertainty, questions around how we can draw people back to the workplace, how we can stay competitive, where are staff supposed to work, and we measure office utilization. How do we transition into hybrid working? How do we maintain the company culture and how much space do we actually need? Why do we even need an office? TSK has spent over two decades helping some of the world's biggest brands to create inspiring places to work for their people. Working with them to create robust workplace strategies, creative design solutions, and quality built environments. TSK's track record is impressive and we wanted to share some of those insights and stories with our listeners here on the Workable Podcast. Well-known global brand, Kellogg's, has always maintained their values for a concrete and positive company culture, expressing this as hashtag like at K. This was most important at the Dublin offices, home of the Kellogg's European headquarters. In 2019, TSK, our headline sponsor, began working with Kellogg's to realize their dream workplace to help their local and European community thrive. But then an unforeseen global event turned the project on its head. More on that later in the show. Welcome back to the Work Bowl podcast, where we chat with the leaders in commercial real estate to answer all questions, space as a service. This podcast is for anyone involved in commercial real estate in any way. If you're an investor, fund manager, developer, property manager, agent, or broker, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. I'm your host, Caleb Parker, and this is episode 10 of season eight, sponsored by TSK. Our final episode of this season as we approach the big 100K. Yes, that's 100,000 downloads, which puts us in the upper echelon of B2B podcasts. Big shout out to our headline sponsor, TSK. I really appreciate their support, and I hope you've enjoyed their advertorial content this season, breaking down their amazing work with their client, Kellogg's. Big thanks to Liam and Dean on TSK's marketing team and both CEO Ian Holden and MD Andrew Burns for another season of this partnership. Thank you for listening each week as we do our best to challenge traditional mindsets and share insights, ideas, and best practice for everyone wanting to lean into the future of commercial real estate and space as a service. Thank you to all my guests this season and across all eight seasons for sharing your expertise. And how fitting to close out this brilliant season with none other than Mr. Trillion Dollar Hashtag himself, my friend, Anthony Slumbers. Anthony kicked off the very first episode as my guest on this podcast by explaining what space as a service is and why office real estate needed to jump on this rocket ship. He speaks at conferences around the world and has a growing tribe of forward-thinking real estate professionals from his Trillion Dollar Hashtag course. In this episode, we find out if his predictions and theories were true in our pre-pandemic episode. We dive into some of the trends driving the future of office demand that he covers on his online course. Anthony shares what questions he's being asked by the supply side of our industry, what questions that are not being asked that should be, and who is getting it right. We go on to discuss a new phrase, brand lords, and we debate operator partnerships, management agreements, white labels, and brands. Be sure to listen to the end to find out what Anthony believes is the winning combination. 
As always, if you have any questions or feedback or topics you want covered, hit me up on Twitter. I'm at Caleb underscore Parker or DM me on LinkedIn. Earlier in the show, we introduced the beginning of a workplace transformation for Kellogg's European headquarters. To tell you more about that story, let's hear from the design and build team behind the project, TSK. Our existing relationship with Kellogg's spanned back to 2018, when we designed and delivered their world-class UK head offices in Manchester. We were ready to raise the bar in Dublin, building a strategy to see the team move from two buildings into one unified, open plan and connected space at Dublin Airport. The design had been agreed, work was already underway, then COVID hit. Headlines like, the office is dead, is remote working here to stay, were circulating and businesses around the globe were reconsidering what the purpose of the office was for them. But if anything, it solidified the work we were about to do. We wanted to create a space which is more representative of our brand, the way we've innovated and changed in the market. We wanted our offices to look and feel like that as well. It sort of comes back to our four C's about connection, creativity, culture, and collaboration. Welcome back to the Workable Podcast, Anthony. It's a pleasure to be here. I can't believe how many episodes you've done. It's incredible. Well, the podcast has gone wildly successful beyond my dreams. But I have to thank you, though, because uh, your name has been mentioned on this podcast so many times over the seasons. And so thank you for challenging the status quo in office real estate and inspiring the future leaders of our industry. It's a pleasure. Needed to be done. Someone had to do it. <laughs> well, you know, uh, I also have to say thank you for being my very first guest on the Workable Podcast in season one, which was released in February 2020, pre-pandemic. That is amazing, actually. I hadn't remembered when it, when it was, but yes, it was It was just before, wasn't it? It was up in, up in your office. Yeah. If only we knew. Yep, we did the face-to-face. This time we're doing it virtually. I can see Anthony in front of me, but not in person. By the way, did you know out of 80 episodes, your first episode is ranked in the top three? The top three? <laughs> you, were sitting there at top, you were sitting there at number one for so long. But you, Dave Cairns, and Dror Poleg are in the top three. I'm very happy, happy to be in that company. And, and, and to be honest with you, it's, it rotates just about every week. So you might be top not one next, no, tomorrow. <laughs> um, yeah, well, very, very good that, company. That episode uh, was titled... What is the trillion dollar hashtag? And obviously that was before the pandemic. And last month, you completed the first cohort of your trillion dollar hashtag course. Congratulations. I was part of that. Thank you for uh, putting that on. I have to ask though, this is my first question to you. Has anything changed in your thesis since that pre-pandemic episode or are all of your predictions coming true? Well, I know I should pro- probably say that, yes, many, many, many things have changed, but in, in reality... I actually don't. I actually don't think anything has. I mean, the, my my number one feeling about the 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 whole thing is actually to to double double down on all, on all of this. I so you mentioned you mentioned the course that I've been been running. Just finished the first cohort of the Spaces as a Service, the Trillion Dollar Hashtag course, and that came out of a few months ago. I just decided to write a follow up article to one that I'd written in January 2019 for PropModo, which was the original trillion dollar hashtag, long form, six and a half thousand word uh, article. And I thought, well, it's about time to to revisit it. So I did the, the, the same thing, but ver- version two. And and really, there's, there's nothing. Uh, I think I just describe it as everything's the same, but 
been turbocharged. And, that, and that's really the situation. You know, the future has come, come towards us much faster in, in some ways than, than we thought, obviously, because of the pandemic. But, but no, I think the, the central thesis of fundamental need for us to create spaces that provide the, the products and services that enable people to do their job to be done, whatever it may be, wherever it is and whenever it is, it is is absolutely is absolutely right. You know, it's a human the the the, the notion of requiring human centric real estate and service led real estate industry as opposed to a product led industry, I think is um, you know spot spot on and coming becoming more and more important each and every day. Well, that's that's true, and you were one of the folks championing that for for quite some time pre pandemic, and it. The reason I ask if all of your predictions have come true is because with this coming out of the pandemic, the recognition, the acknowledgement, the realization, or what Dave Kern says is the inflection point that a lot of companies, and more importantly, the people that work for them have had, has led right into everything you've been calling for from the supply side of our industry. So is it not so much that your predictions are coming true or things have changed on the supply side, but it's more that employees' needs have changed? What's, what do you think is driving that now? I think the reality is that what COVID did is turn things that we thought were true into things that we know to be true. And, you know, we've had two, two years, basically, of everyone just left, left the office and, and work, worked at home. And that immediately forced, forced us to take, to take things seriously. That I think it's quite an important thing, actually, to, to take into account how actually revolutionary this is, rather than it simply being an acceleration. I wrote a blog post a while ago for saying this, um, it's a revolution, not an acceleration, because there's been a lot of talk about what COVID did is just accelerate trends that were actually there. But it's much more than that, because there was a trend to people doing some, some work at home. But it was like 5% growing at 10%, 15% a year. We'd be 10, 15, 20 years before we got to a significant moments where the basic principle is that we work in a distributed manner. So it really has, has compressed certainly 10 years, maybe even more, into two years, and has forced us into re-evaluating so many things. And I think this is the really interesting thing that's coming out now, which again is something that I thought, and we discussed this some time ago, is now we're in, a, in this hybrid hybrid world. I think there's a, there's a lack of understanding of actually just how revolutionary that is. Because we moved from a world where initially we were basically all based in the office. It was an office-centric business. And then within a matter of weeks, we became all home-based. Home but actually, it was exactly the same because we were all in the office or we were all at home. So the way we actually operated, the way the business ran, was pretty, pretty well the same. We just substituted virtual meetings for, uh, for in-person in meetings. But otherwise, we still operated as if we always knew where someone was. Where's Caleb? Always in the office. Where's Caleb? Always at home. Now, where's Caleb? I don't know. Caleb, Caleb could be anywhere. So we're now in this hybrid world where we're not all in the same place. But in so many cases, companies are still trying to run as if we were all in the same, in the same place. 
And in so many instances, I don't think the thought has gone into how we need to transform our companies and the way we work, the basic methodologies and workflows to adapt for a hybrid world, which is why you get this sort of rather, rather nonsense stuff about, oh, this company is going to mandate everyone's going to come in two or three days a week, or this company is just deciding whether it should do two days or three days. That is endemic of companies that are simply not addressing the new needs of, the, of their employees. You know, what is good for the employee? What is good for the teams? And what is good for the company in terms of where do people need to be that enables them to be as productive or, as I like to say, as happy, healthy and productive as they can be? Because happy and healthy people are the most productive. So if you, were, if you want to be pure Adam Smith and just concentrate on all I'm bothered about is the productivity of X, then actually you have to think a lot about the soft side first, because to get the most out of X, you need to enable them to be keep them happy and hopefully as healthy as possible. But without really addressing what an individual needs, what the team needs and what the company needs in terms of where do we need to be to do X in the most efficient and effective manner, you're really going to have a problem. And I think there's an awful lot of managers and management awaiting someone to simply say, here it is, it's on an A4 A sheet, this is what you need to do, just do this. I mean, you see it so often in sort of Harvard Business Review things, don't you? How, how to do X, well, just do these 10, 10 things. But in reality, for every single company, what they need to do is different because every, every company is different and they all have different employees doing different, different things under different circumstances. So many nuances. What works for one doesn't work for the other. And, but you'll never get to understand what is needed unless you dig quite deeply into wants, needs, and desires of individuals, teams, and the company. And then you, once you've got that data, you can, then, you can then work out what people need. And I think what is happening, which is really interesting, is that I think we're going to find a big split between the companies that really lean into the consequences and the opportunities of what has occurred over the last couple of years and those that play, play at it a bit and really think, oh, it would be much easier if it all went back to before. Because I, th I think companies that fully lean into thinking in terms of, well, we are now a remote first company or distributed company. So our default is that we will use multiple forms of accommodation to do work. We will also have everything digital. Everything will be in the cloud. Everything will be documented. We'll get much better at communication. We'll pay a lot more attention because we're not seeing people to put in place processes to understand, is Caleb okay? Has is Caleb got the right workload? Is he operating efficiently? Is he effectively? Has he got what he needs? Do we need to give him more equipment? Do we need to given different different services different products different different spaces and you need to do that if you look at the it's very very interesting actually uh, i think it's github had run a free course on coursera i think on how to run a remote uh, a remote company it's really interesting it boils down to so much of this is working asynchronously rather than synchronously having much better docu documentation and communicating more and, and uh, having and instilling an ability for, for everybody to be able to write better. 
because it's an it's an it's an interesting thing. This idea of when you're not all together, you need to be able to communicate much much better, and you can't just get away with sending a two two word, word email. You need to explain to someone this is what I did overnight. This is what we need need to do. Blah blah blah. Uh, that that that's a sort of thing. And the power the power of writing is going to become more and more prevalent in the next few years. It actually, interestingly, I'm just thinking this fits in with, you probably heard about the old Jeff Bezos thing at Amazon in, term, in their meeting where he banned the use of PowerPoints. You weren't allowed to come in and do a PowerPoint. When you had a meeting to propose something, you had to write. And I think it, I think it started at up to six pages, and I think they reduced it down to, you need to write two or three or four pages maximum to explain what you want. And when you came into the meeting, the first thing everyone would do would read the written submission. And the, and the reason he did it was because by forcing people to write it down, it actually forces people to think harder about things. You know, it's very easy in the, the old office entry where I just need to go and talk to Caleb about X. So first I go and knock him on the shoulder and disturb his thought patterns. And then I sort of ramble about, well, have you done, have you done this? To do with what? As opposed to putting it, putting in front of you, you know, 300 words specifically explaining context, what, what I need, what I'm asking for. And it just makes, makes, makes people think harder. You know, if you weren't allowed to say anything, unless you were prepared to be quizzed, quizzed on what you said and you had to, you, would, you were forced to explain yourself better. That's, that's really not a bad thing. Well, I, I often use voice notes because writing out, you know, I can send a couple of bullets here and there, but writing out a full-fledged thought about something new or a proposal, often, I don't know if it's, you know, if it's just me, but I don't want to write a whole book in an email. So often I'll send a voice note, but then how many times I record that vo voice note over and over again because I don't like the way it sounds and I want to come back and, you know, articulate it the right way. It's just a new, new tool for me. But I think you started to talk about how some companies are embracing this new way of working and they're leaning into this and others, there's a split between others who want to go back to the old way. You know, you and I were talking about what that's going to mean as more companies do lean in. What, what is that going to mean for, you know, for the success of companies going forward? I genuinely think it's going to, it's going to enable some companies to become 10x more productive than others. And they are going to attract the best talent. Because all, there's all this thing about, oh, well, you know, we're trying to attract, attract people into the office, so we're going to force people to come back into the office. The problem with forcing your talent to do that is that another one of the things that has developed over the last decade and getting stronger and stronger is, frankly, the best talent has a lot more options now. It, it's becoming easier to discover the best talent and for the best talent to discover where, where their skills would be best placed. And if you start forcing, forcing people, you get, it, it's a bit like that old joke about, well, what, what, what if I train my staff and they leave? The, the person responds, well, what if I don't train, train them and they stay? You know, and, and, and that, that's, that's the, prob the, the problem. We've all got to try and raise the bar constantly at the quality of the work we do and the quality of the work we do our lords and masters or our subordinates do 
And we're constantly trying to attract the, be the, the best people. And the best people now have, you know, the economists call it optionality. They have choices. I sort of think in many, many ways, the best thing to do at the moment is start brand new companies because it's really, really hard to take an old company and then reconfigure it. So, you know, change management. Change management has been difficult for 30 years. I understand where you're headed with that. And I think in many cases, this is probably true and that'll happen naturally. But there are companies leaning into this. And I think as those 10x companies you refer to really start taking off, and we see that juxtaposition in, in the old way and the new way. Well, naturally, that leads on to the future of work, equaling the future of commercial real estate. And while I don't want to necessarily, you and I and Dave Kearns and you know, Pontius and so many other people are sharing some amazing content on LinkedIn. So we won't dive into all the details around that. But I'm curious because you speak at a lot of conferences around the world, including this morning, I think, in Helsinki. I'm curious from the supply side of our industry, because obviously this podcast is focused on space as a service, what sort of questions are you being asked by the supply side of our industry and as it relates to how to accommodate these nuances? A lot, a lot of the, quest the questions I get are, are actually asking for examples of, who, of who's, who's done what. That you, t you tend to get a lot of, hmm, but how do we actually do this? You know, because... Yeah, I, I tend to I, I tend to, to talk to people who, frankly, have either already bought into what I I talk about, or or have just bought have just bought into them at whatever whatever conference I'm I'm talking about. And then normally the the question is, yeah, but how do we do that? So one of the things I make a big big deal about it it is if you start if you start from the the, the premise that. We need, we need spaces that attract people. We need spaces that are flexible, that are resilient, that enable people to be happy, healthy, and productive. How do we do this? What, what, what do we need, need to do? And I think, I think, that, I think that's a, the, the, tricky, the tricky thing for a lot, of, a lot of people is starting from a non-real estate point of view. Because, you know, people who have been in real estate, you always start from, well, real estate is the input. I've got this building. That's my input. Now, what do I do? And I say, well, actually, we need to be working to a situation where actually real estate is the output, not the input. The input is the human need. So I, I have a customer base, an existing customer base, or have a, I have a customer base that I'm trying to attract. What do I need to do to attract them better than my peers? And I would say that the starting point is this understanding the wants, needs, and desires of the individuals, their teams, their companies, what their business and what their industry needs. And only after you've done that can you can you look at the the, the real estate the real estate side. And I think that's a that's a difficult jump for 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 real estate people because they're immediately looking for what's the real estate solution to this. And I'm saying, well, you don't know what the question is yet. That, that, uh, that actually is my next question is, what are they not asking um, that they should be it, asking? Well, it, it, it is ex exactly that. It's really, what is it our, pe our, our people need? I mean, I've, I've had so many, so many conversations along the lines of, well, how do we get people back in the office? Or how often should we get people back, back in the office? And they, those are two absolutely wrong questions. The question has to start you know, back, 
bashing on a point here at the individual, the individuals and the teams of why, why do they need to come into the office? It's a, it's a quite a scary thought for anyone in the real estate industry to think of, to look at their building and completely dispassionately ask the question, why would anyone come here? <laughs> I've been asking that question for two seasons now on the podcast, and uh, or not for two seasons, two years on the podcast. You know, I always get weird looks from my peers, and I've addressed that a couple of times on here. On you know, we we all should be asking why why do people want to come back to our buildings, or what's what will motivate people to come back to our buildings if people aren't making them. You used to come because the computers were here, and now you can do that from anywhere. But 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 but, but, but this is a really absolutely foundational point about the, the the future the future of real estate we have covid has cut the gordian knot linking work to a particular place this is the same thing that happened in, re- in retail over the last 20 years you know we realized we do not need need to go to a shop to go shopping you know you mr bezels will send you anything we want anywhere in the world within within a day we don't need to go there but in many cases we want to go there because the because the retail experience is so is so good, and you you just look at the, the you know the the quality of the best spaces across the board, you know, the quality of the best retail experiences is fantastic. Why do you want to want to go there? You could buy anything. Yeah, but it's great. Have you been there? Have you seen it? So so I want to ask you on that because I want to change the word quality to characteristics now. What are the characteristics of a good office now or a good office asset? What is it going to be that, because we don't need to be in there in general, but people still want to come into the office for X. How can the space deliver X? Well, the, 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 X, the X has to be things that you can do in this office better than you can do any, anywhere else. So, the, so ab- absolutely, the only reason people should be going to an office is because that's a, the best place to do, to do X. And then it's a realization of what X is. So X could be, well, that's where I meet, meet my, my, my team, or that's where I learn, that's where I go, go to an event, or that's where I go to do quiet work, because I don't have anywhere else to do quiet work. So this particular office supplies me with a perfect, perfect space to do, to do quiet work, or this is, this is where I do go to record a podcast. Because the, the building has a podcast and studio, or this is where I go to do X, Y, Z that I can't do better, better elsewhere. And so, I think any anyone running an office has to has to think about the things that are not, that you can do in an office better than any, anywhere else. And you know, someone like Leesman provide fantastic data on. Different things you can do in office, like like meeting, like meeting people, like like um, going to events and that sort of thing. I can't do that. Can't do that. Alive. But that's gonna that's gonna be. I mean, that leads on to one of your other points that you talk about a lot. And, and since the nuances are there, and you ask hundred people, you get hundred different answers on what that X is or what they need, what they want. That's gonna require real estate to really focus in on specific needs and and specific type of customers. Absolutely. Right? I mean that is one of the one of the. I mean, funny enough, in the talk I gave this, this morning, one of the points was we're no longer in a world where all customers are equal. 
so he, you know historically we would create a, a prime grade grade a building and it would be well who's the customer anyone anyone who can afford it it's perfect perfect for them you know it, it fulfills the specification it's got this it's got this feature that feature any anyone could do that i don't think that's going to work anymore we need to be more more tightly geared to a particular cust- customer base so the customer base might be an industry so you might be aiming for i don't know the the, the music industry or uh, or or accountants or fashion or tech or whatever or it could be a particular function within that this is a place for the creatives this is a place for the designers this is a place for the you know the the, the uh, administration but you've got to decide who who do you want as a customer okay so i think if if people are still listening by now i think they're bought into to what we're talking about i think they're bought into the fact that real estate isn't going to be all things for all people anymore we need to really focus and target customers i've used your bacon and egg sandwich analogy that you referenced in episode one a lot over the, over these um these seasons and i i sort of have two questions for you on that we'll start with the first one it's more of a more of a yes or no questions or a quick short answer and then i want to lead into something longer First thing is, in that bacon and egg sandwich, are you seeing more pigs or chickens today? I'm seeing quite a lot of chickens that think they're pigs. They're saying, well, we're starting, we, we can provide this. We'll provide this. We're going to do, we're going to offer offer this. And you think, mm, I, don't, I don't see the commitment. I don't see the commitment there. It's still a big thing, the difference between chicken and a pig. And, 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 just, and just quickly, the point was, it doesn't matter. If your chicken or a pig is, both are good. You just need you just need to know who 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 you are. We'll put a link in the show notes to your article on that, so people can reference that if they want, if they haven't heard the analogy. But I think you're right. You know, there's there are a lot of people who are a lot of landlords that we talk to today are are buying into space as a service, as a concept to help their leasing strategy to activate their buildings, and and they're looking at how do they do it and asking some of the wrong questions and the right questions. But recently, you know, our friend Zoe Ellis Moore published an article entitled titled the the time is right for brand lords to enter co-working and it talks about the landlords who have launched their own brands as well as the white label solutions on offer by companies like jll and, and my colleagues over at newflex but question i want to ask you and this is you know brand obviously is a big part near and dear to my heart so i wanted your opinion on if a landlord does choose to partner with an operator versus doing it themselves they've identified that they are a chicken in this example and not a pig. What's your opinion on white labeling or selecting a specific brand to partner with to attract specific customer targets into their buildings? Well, let, let, let me just step back a little bit. In an absolutely ideal world, the best situation is a landlord who's, a, who's an operator. I think in, a, in, an, in an absolutely ideal world, because they have complete control over the hardware, the software, and the services. But very few, I think, are going to be able to do that because you've really got to be you've really got to be committed, and you've got to be thinking every every one of our buildings is going to have 30 percent of of flex space, and that's going to be part 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 of your brand. That that's that's what what we are. But very few will be able to do that. Then you can just outsource it straight straight away, and that's fine. But you've lost you've lost connection with your with your customers. Or, and I think this for most companies is going to be the best thing to do, is probably to work with, 
your your operator of choice. And you know, and every landlord's going to have to say, well, actually, for this building, that's the right oper- operator for here and that building. You know, it's ho- it's hotels. You know, you're going to put four seasons in that one. I'm going to put a, a prem- premier in in that one. But I would I would just say that I think an owner of a building should be working very closely with their operator, and possibly possibly they can white label it. But the the the, the difficulty with with white labeling is you actually don't have as you don't have enough of a brand. You can you can you can white label it, and and that's sort of fine. But it it it's sort it's sort of limit sort of limited. Um, I'd be more more inclined to work with to work with an operator that fits your your idea of what a user experience should be, and and work close closely with them. Or alternatively. An operator, and this is where a white label might work, where I as a landlord have a very specific idea of the brand I want to create, what the what this brand is going to stand for and what the user experience of my brand is. But I don't want to do the whole caboodle. So I know I know the experience I want to give people. I know what I want it to basically look like, the aesthetic, the whole thing. And now I want someone to come and provide provide it all. All for me. That's a, a good, a good solid, solid offering. But but that that requires the landlord to actually have a really clear idea of what they what they want want to do. Otherwise, otherwise they should pick someone they can work with closely. I think the white label solution provided by you know look our company does it. JLL does it. There's quite a few. I think it's a clever solution on our end to be able to offer that to landlords because the real estate industry likes to be all things to all people and provide white boxes. So getting a white label that can be all things to all people, you know, happy days. But to what you said, it's important for us to provide a specific experience to meet someone's specific needs. And that can't be generic. That cannot be all things to all people, which is where brand comes in. I have a feeling in in, in 10 years time, we'll find that there's I know, forty brands, and four zero. Yeah, just maybe maybe four zero in the UK. And even if you do a white label, you're actually doing a white label like a hotel owner would do. So I'm not going to do it. Myself. I'm not going to think it up myself. That's a that's a Premier Inn building, and that's a Four Seasons building. And what building am I in? And you let the because you still got to attract people, and who's You've got to think of where's the magnet to the in, to the individuals and to the companies. Where do we want to work? Well, we want to work in a Caleb space, or we want to work it. Or think of I always use the car analogy. You know, we want to work in a we want to drive BMWs. Well, no, we don't. We want to drive Mercedes. Well, we don't. We like Audis. We're we're an Audi company. And so, if you're if you're doing a white label and you've got a serious building and you want to operate a serious a, a serious offering yes you can do a white label but i think in 10 years you'll be picking from 40 different options maybe not 40 i mean i don't you know i don't know it depends how, how far you you break it down i think the, the to, to me we should probably end on that but <laughs> the, to me the, the the more the more the merrier to meet the different desires and needs of different people uh, because because i think the market and the growth of the market as we go from B to B to B to C is magnificent. The, tr- the tr- 
sorry, the, the, the trick for the operator, I think, is going back to the car analogy, to be a bit like Volkswagen, that they actually had one frame of a car, I forgot what you, you, you call it, the, the, the base, and then you can put different, different bodies and different, different brands on, on top. Because the real, the real key, as you know, all of this stuff that looks really easy is really complicated on, under, the, under the hood. So, be, so being able to, here we are, 80% of it is, a, is actually a generic system. And then we, we add 20, 20% is the makeup, if you like. But, but 80% of it is what you're, what you're buying in is the ability to, you know, just work, just do it. Just do it. Nike, there we go. <laughs> I do not have the Still rights right. to, that lo- to that slogan. Um, Anthony, this has been fantastic. Uh, I want to I give you a chance to, to plug Trillion Dollar Hashtag Course. When is the next cohort? The next co- cohort is going to be in the begin- beginning of the year, in, in probably Jan- January. TrillionDollarHashtag.com. Have, have a look. It's where all the most interesting people in real estate go to. And you're teaching everything we just talked about. The future of this is on that course. So uh, I've been on it. Highly recommend it. Um, so th- thank you again for, for taking the time today. Thank you for being an inspiration. Um, and yeah, thank you for everything that I've learned from you over the years. It's a pleasure. It's always a pleasure. And now the final break to complete the story of how TSK helped Kellogg's create their workplace of the future. This time in the words of Kellogg's. Which means, I have to mention, I had a chance to meet Kellogg's European Facilities Manager, Derek McDonald, on a recent trip to Manchester, England. Let's hear what he and his team have to say. We found that we had a natural attrition rate where people, once we opened the office, with no pressure, they started to come back in. Now, when you walk in the door here, the flavor that you get, you see all the branding, you see how light and airy and spacious it is. There's so many different spaces to work in, not just standard desks. It just really, really works very well. When we saw it come to life, it was really interesting because you never really think it's going to look like it's going to in the picture, but it did. You definitely know it's a Kellogg's building when you walk into this floor and I love the reaction of everybody who comes here. It's nice to now be proud of a workspace. When you look at the design of the office, TSK really understood that from where our culture is to where we want it to be. We wanted people mingling, we wanted people to get to know each other. And it's very evident in the layouts, the designs. And when you look at our brands and our colours and our phone and our, our product, that's evident here. And that was great working with a team that understood what we were about, what we wanted. Thank you for listening today and may you enjoy a warm and festive end of the year. And until next year, take care of yourself. Drum roll, please. P.S. If you want to find out about future-proofing your portfolio, head over to newflex.com. Making a high-quality podcast like this one takes a lot of work. That's a fact. But not when you hire a podcast company. With our White Glove experience, we handle everything for you. From guest outreach all the way through to publishing and promotion, we handle it all. You show up to hold great interviews and build relationships with your guests, and we take care of everything else. Podcasting is not just about the audience. Every podcast interview is the start of a new relationship. With a weekly podcast, you'd build relationships with 52 ideal partners or prospects through your podcast interviews over the next 12 months. Do you believe that 52 new relationships would help grow your business? We do. 
contact jason at a podcastcompany.com and let's talk.